Welcome to the San Diego News Fix. I'm Christy Totten. The San Diego Unified School District has chosen a new superintendent. Dr. Lamont Jackson was chosen unanimously by the Board of Education. He will lead the district, which is second largest in California, and has more than 95,000 students, 15,000 employees, more than 170 schools, and a budget of $1.7 billion. Jackson is from San Diego and was a student of Claremont High School before he returned as an assistant teacher and basketball coach. He then went on to serve as principal of three schools and as area superintendent. Jackson sat down with the San Diego Union Tribune's editorial board recently. Here he is talking about catching students up after the pandemic, how to include parents in discussions about education, as well as his plans to help student mental health. The first two questions are asked by Matthew T. Hall, our editorial and opinion director. And the final question is asked by Andrew Kleski, our reader engagement editor. What's the district's plan to offset any or some of that learning loss? And and how do you make sure that kids don't fall through the cracks? I mean, you know, people are feeling now like the pandemic is in this next phase. Maybe it's getting easier, but the reality is it's not over. And and, and, um, the other reality is that we don't know. Well, we won't know for years, maybe, what the effect is on, on this generation. Yeah, I, I do say some, and because it wasn't ideal for all. I, I believe, uh, to your point, that there was there was learning gain. I, I believe our students were better able to access uh, learning in the way that they uh, believed it was important for them. Some were more engaged than others. We had to do home visits. Uh, to check on uh, student welfare. You know, some students just weren't logging in. And um, and the, the, the number of hours, you know, it was a balance between having kids on uh, technology for eight hours uh, or to reduce that um, and to then sacrifice some of the learning. So that's why I say some, because, it, you know, I think that's still left up in the air to your point and depending on the student and depending on the family. So uh, in terms of how we mitigate uh, any learning loss, one is you certainly have to pull up next to each individual child. Uh, You have to make sure that you are assessing where they are, where, you know, as compared to where they need to be. And then you have to spend additional time with them uh, in small group one-on-one settings. And that's what we are doing through our literacy acceleration plan is we're putting more resources uh, where students need them the most. And I think that's how you mitigate. Um, You certainly need to have some whole group instruction, but really to meet individual needs, you have to do small group and one-on-one. If it's in, in reading, you have to do small group reading. And that's what we're doing as part of our literacy acceleration plan. So that's going to be important no matter what subject uh, it is. And it is going to um, ask our teachers to differentiate the learning uh, and the experiences for our our students, Um, because that's that's the only way we're going to accelerate is to really know each individual child. And that's what we've been doing for years. And um, we have to continue that work. I think it's going to be important for us to be able to, uh, to pivot. Uh, once we are able to, um, you know, folks are talking about no masks and, you know, our focus has really been around the pandemic and the, the safety and the health of our students. And that's where it should have been. 
uh, during this pandemic. Uh, but our goal, we have not uh, removed our focus from preparing our students for a college and career um, of their choice, uh, period. That, that has never stopped. And our, our teachers, our leaders, our paraeducators have stayed focused on that. And I, I do appreciate that. So I, that's how I think we, we get back to um, supporting our students um, on an individual basis in a small group, uh, in small group settings. Let me flip the prism and ask you about parents. You, you kind of alluded to the, the mask, the great mask debate. Um, I think there was a story in our paper today about uh, some of the uh, efforts and struggles that superintendents and districts are having uh, engaging parents. We just had the recall in San Francisco where three school board members um, were, were handed their walk-in papers, um, partly because of how they had different priorities than the parents would have liked to see during uh, a pandemic. How do you approach it from a parent's point of view and how do you balance you know the, the, this kind of uh, d divisive time that we're in where some parents want masks some parents don't want masks well first and foremost i'm a parent myself and um i think i i want to think um about it from i want the best for my child so when i uh, speak with parents or community members I give them the benefit of the doubt that they're coming from a place that they care. They care deeply. Uh, they're not, they're not, you know, coming from a place of anger. They're, they're coming from a place of care. At least that's my perspective. I like to approach things from that way. And I want to think of myself as being open uh, and, and being able to hear individuals and see individuals. That's all I've wanted my entire life is to be seen and to be heard. I have to reciprocate that. I have to hold a space for people to show up the way in which they need to show up. And I need to, to find a way for them uh, to get what they need as well. And so uh, that's how I show up as an individual, as a leader, as a person. And um, I'm not the parent of their child. I'm creating a learning condition for their children to get the best education possible. I spoke with a young lady last week. <clears throat> uh, her child needs to, um, well, she would like her child to take the GD. And I pulled up next to her and I said, um, you know, what grade is she in? And she is in, she, by age, she's a junior. And by credit, she's a sophomore. And I said, you know, there are so many different opportunities for your child. Uh, we could, you know, we can do uh, ingenuity. We can do some online work and we can get her, we can get her caught up. We have high, we can do a number of things. And she says, you know, I just don't like the public education system. She goes, no offense, right? She, she knows what my role is. And I said, no offense taken. She goes, I just, I don't, I don't think college is the, the way I think it costs too much. All of those personal things, that's, that's not my job to worry about that. What my job was to do was to serve her child. That's what I, and I told her that I, I don't care about your political views, your views on public education. I have different views, but what we can agree on is you have a child. 
who is 16. And I'm going to make sure that she gets what she needs in the way that she needs it. That's my job. And I'm committed to that. I don't, I don't care where people are coming from. And so that's how I'm going to continue to show up as a superintendent. I'm going to see people and I'm going to hear people, whether I agree with them or not. That's not my job. My job is to make sure every child is educated and prepared for college and career. That's it. And then I wanted to ask a little about the role of uh, the schools in uh, health education, particularly mental health education. I'm wondering what resources uh, do you need uh, and what, what can we bring to bear? I'm, I'm specifically thinking about the California health education framework mm-hmm. and uh, whether that's something that's going to be at play here in San Diego. What role should the schools be taking to make sure that our students are, are physically healthy, mentally healthy and socially healthy? Well, I can't speak to um, what role that's going to play, but I'm going to say um, mental health and our role in that, uh, we play a big part in that. Um, you know, our job is to educate the whole child and we provide the resources that they need uh, to be productive um, in school and in the community. When I, uh, when I took over as the um, superintendent, mental health was a priority for me. And uh, at the time, uh, I noticed that there was um, $4 million um, put towards mental health. Um, I asked the team uh, to create a three-year plan uh, for supporting our students around mental health. They came back with a $30 million plan, a three-year plan, and I approved that, and the monies went right into the budget. No questions asked. We are going to invest in what our kids need, period. It's our number one. Um, same thing. Uh, I said, uh, part of mental health is, is health and nutrition, right? So, uh, we're going to invest in intramurals. As I mentioned, uh, team came back and said, this is our plan. And we invested. And now this semester, uh, this spring, we're launching intramurals. First time that we've had intramurals, I think since 2007, I think. And so, uh, I think we are investing, um, in the whole child uh, to make sure that they have what they need uh, to be successful uh, on the path to, to college and career. So that that's my commitment to mental health. Uh, it's gonna require us to have outside resources to bring in more mental health clinicians. Uh, as we reported last evening, uh, in all but two clusters, we have mental health clinicians uh, serving our secondary schools. We also have it in all of our elementary schools uh, we're, we're closing in on the last um, uh, contract uh, to make sure that they're in all of our clusters. Um, and that'll be within the next 30 days, I believe. So uh, we've invested, we're committed, uh, we're going to show up for our kids. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. We'll be back tomorrow.